Welcome to the latest edition of the NPM podcast. Uh, joining me today to discuss the deal-making environment in 2023 is Thomas Burton, member and chair of energy and sustainability practice for the law firm of Mintz. Uh, Thomas, welcome to the program today. Thanks, John. Uh, really delighted to be here. Um, before we get into the discussion, it would be a good idea, I think, for our listeners to uh, get a little bit uh, better sense about um, your role there at Mintz. Sure, thanks. Uh, so I'm the founder uh, and leader of our firm's energy and sustainable infrastructure practice group. Uh, this is a group that is focused for over 20 years uh, on clean energy technologies, bringing those to market, representing investors and operating companies, and ultimately scaling them into the, the project environment, the asset environment. Uh, so we, as a team, uh, do somewhere on the order of 60 to 70 plus deals a year, several billion dollars in deal value. Uh, this is across uh, venture capital, private equity, growth equity, uh, and M&A, uh, along with you know, key strategic joint venture type activity. So more transactional legal work. And um, as a consequence of our having been in the market for 20 years, we have a rather unique view on some of the trends and and uh, other uh, uh, happenings uh, going on relative to to the past that uh, we think is very informative as we uh, really embark on this, uh, I'd say, sort of new new chapter in the, in the deployment of clean energy assets. Thanks for that. So um, it's obviously, as we talked before, about it being a very busy year so far. Uh, and uh, the sense is it could uh, continue to get busy through the rest of the year at this point. Um, one of the trends that's been out there is that a lot of the uh, larger, uh, bolder developers out there, whether they're an IPP model or not, mo mostly IPP model, uh, there's been a lot of portfolios of those projects uh, that have been put out there for pot potential sales process um, with the use of proceeds being basically an asset recycling exercise. You know, you've brought projects along to a certain point, you're getting, trying to get the monetization and then put the liquidity back into your future pipelines, which possibly can be bigger and bolder uh, than the one you're trying to sell currently. Um, so given um, the sheer amount of processes that are out there. Uh, and that's just one nook. You know, I understand that there's also a lot of storage projects that are out there and there's still platforms that are out there as well. Um, has it become um, a seller's market at this point? I would say probably yes. And I, I've thought quite a bit about this. You, you, you really hit the nail on the head in terms of you know, the, the action that's occurring, you know, there have been portfolios by a whole variety of developers. Uh, I see, we see a lot in distributed generation. So it's mostly DG type you know, work, not so much in large utility scale, you know, kind of projects. And, and so as a consequence, uh, you've got a fragmented marketplace, right? With a you know, whole host of developers and, and, and an opportunity who have been developing projects for you know, many years. And so a, a, an opportunity then to, to engage in that recycling activity. And so uh, I'd say, if I were to suggest maybe maybe a short term peak or peaks in that in that environment that we probably had you know about a year ago one of those those peaks um, just shy of the interest rate environment beginning to change 
uh, we saw, uh, I'd say for the sellers uh, who had strong platforms, or I should say, you know, you know, quite a few, you know, projects to sell, and then also a you know developmental platform that was solid, you know, uh, a willingness on the buy side, which is largely, you know, either you know private equity uh, capital that had recently come into the market, new funds and new investors, uh, or uh, you know, say, you know, folks like um, you know, uh, you know, safe, uh, low risk investors like pension funds, etc. You know, you know, domestic and also. Uh, um, international coming into the market and, and willing to pay a very um, high premium, a high price for, for those assets and those teams. And I think for, for, for me, what was really most, what has become most interesting is that the, if you have a very solid team with that proven track record, that funds have been willing to not only you know buy your operating assets or assets in development, but also buy you for your developmental pipeline that you would then manage as well as, you know, cover those costs going forward. So not only, you know, paying for today's asset, but also effectively prepaying for tomorrow's asset. And and that that trend is um, you know, I'd say I say is has been continually active over the last year. I'd say from a valuation perspective, probably peaked last year. And um, we're now seeing a little less um uh, what is the cadence, the volume, you know, of transactional activity, right? So so to me, what's happening is the investment community, which is still holding on to substantial amounts of cash, whether it be a PE fund or whether it be a you know pension fund, has decided that they're going to emphasize quality and and do deeper dives and diligence. Um, you know, I still think there's a lot of competition, so that's why I feel like it's still a seller's market. But you know, um, you know, pressing the pause button, doing more diligence, taking a longer time frame to complete transactions, you know, and consequently that has an impact, I think, on valuations, you know, really uh, uh, folks saying or thinking, you know, when we finance that, you know, in this case, solar, we'll call it, but I, I do think uh, it does hold true for storage or solar plus storage. You know, when we, when we look out, you know, we've got a model, a higher, you know, cost of capital through, you know, the, the current interest rate environment in the U S that, you know, of course, you know, and, and therefore, you know, we can't pay the, Price that maybe we were willing to pay a year, a year ago, so so you're you know among other things, but I think those are some of the dynamics that are happening today. So you know, and will it continue in in a robust fashion? I do think so. I, I think that what you know another trend that I would I would say is happening now is that uh, there's a recognition in you know when when you have we've seen this in other cycles. So when you would sort of in clean tech, for example, clean tech 1.0 going back 15 years or so, you know you had a flood of capital coming to the marketplace. And there were no good management teams. So, so a number of us, you know, would we, we formed trade associations and created job training opportunities and tried to bring tech entrepreneurs into clean tech, you know, in an effort to uh, uh, capture the talent of successful folks who knew how to grow businesses to help grow in that new sector. And likewise, I think here you have a lot of developers out there, some of whom are, you know, A plus and some aren't, you know, and if you can, you, you know, if you, if you find an A plus, you're going to have to pay for A plus, you know, so the, the talent uh, is the um, limiting factor, in my opinion, right now, uh, not not so much the capital as this pendulum has swung. How do you think this uh, translates to um, valuations for um, both? And we do have to isolate it here, both platforms and project level uh, deal activity. So I, I think what what we've seen is that 
we've seen higher multiples um, in terms of the valuations for the, the platforms, right? So, you know, it's essentially, you know, the buyer going upstream, you know, which traditionally was not the case, right? You know, PE funds would not do that. And, you know, um, as a result of the paucity of talent, I think they are, they are doing that now and they're willing to pay. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you whether, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, whether people are overpaying or not. I, I just know that they're willing to pay and they're willing to promise, right, additional capital, you know, for, for growth. Um, when you look at the overall trends in terms of spending in clean energy, you know, uh, the IEA released a report in the last day or two, you know, showing that, you know, clean energy spending is, you know, is, is definitely more than fossil um, by, you know, substantial amounts, you know, that, that, that trend is increasing. So if you buy into the trend increasing as it has over the last several years, um, you know, then that means that there's going to be, you know, further and further development deployments, you know, in, in capital availability. So, you know, if you can lock in a really talented team, uh, there's a lot of upside there. Okay. Well, one of the themes that emerged in um, sort of, again, starting at the beginning of this year was the amount of, of capital uh, being poured into uh, CNI, uh, solar and distributed generation. Uh, and most of it was actually funds that were more known for their emerging markets uh, and foreign investment. I mean, they may have had some U.S. assets, but some of it, you know, may have been them planting a flag in the U.S. for the first time in a long time. Um, what do you think some of the drivers are for this and these these investments? Uh, that's a great, great question. Um, there's a few like we we've, we've been working with a number of strategic, so not so much um, funds, but strategic uh, uh, investors who have come into the United States market and, and they've made pretty substantial pivots uh, into the U.S. and into clean energy in, in ways we haven't seen, you know, before. And so there's a there's a number of drivers, I guess I would say, you know, one, one, one driver is that these larger, you know, corporates have a very low cost, cost of capital, right? So, so they can afford to come into the marketplace, even in a lower yield environment. Um, or a higher interest rate environment, either way, right? You're, you're looking at a different set of economics for solar than maybe you did in the past, in the last, last several years. And so uh, so they can tolerate that, you know, they, they, they still you know, will generate a return that, on their capital that is acceptable for, the, for their, their business. And then there's also a cultural piece to this too, which, you know, was actually bantering about with some of my partners the other day where, um, you know, these businesses are, are seeking to um, get this new exposure to renewables in a way that you know they haven't previously. Um, there's a little bit of testing the market to try to understand from their perspective whether we we are indeed into a long-term trend and what will that mean for them back home and 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 uh, the potential opportunity to to do the same, you know, develop the same back home or or push to create incentives like we have here in the U.S. under programs like IRA which, you know, will help facilitate, you know, the economics. So, so ex exploration, culture, and economics, I guess, would be sort of the three, three drivers, in, in my opinion. Okay. Um, so obviously, when we're talking about CNI or, or rooftop solar, or some of these other forms like parking lots or carports, um, yeah. you know, they, they're smaller, more executable um, than utility scale, given 
everything those developers are facing, like interconnection issues and supply mm -hmm. chain costs. Yes. Um, yep. But still, uh, some of these funds were putting, you know, a price tag and uh, hundreds and hundreds of millions into these smaller developers. So do you think there's enough of a return here to justify what some of these funds are spending or putting pouring into these developers? Well, the way, so this is a great question. So I, I think that we have to recognize sort of how these structures, I guess, exist. So, and they vary, right? So it, it, in some cases, you know, the developer might, let's hypothetically talk about a $200 million, you know, uh, uh, slug of capital for future, you know, development. You know, typically you might see that structured as a commitment. So, you know, in, in the press, you'll see, you know, Fundex, you know, you know, partners with developer Y on, you know, $500 million platform or whatever the number is, right? But the reality is, is that's a commitment, not money in the bank. And so there's going to be, you know, we lawyers, we love to, you know, manage risk, right? That's kind of what our job is, you know? And so uh, in doing so, we'd like to structure contracts which have, um, you know, exit ramps in the event that partnerships don't work out. And so, you know, that, that capital um, doesn't necessarily, you know, it, it's not a must deploy, you know, um, effectively. It's a it's a will be deployed in a good scenario, you know, uh, structure, right? Um, that doesn't mean, you know, um, you know, um, you can leave for any reason or that, you know, you're you're uh, if you're not getting three x, you know, or five x your money, you're out. Um, you know, it, it's you know, it is true investment, and you know, with a you know modest and uh, reasonable expectation of return, you know. But if for some reason, you know, either policy goes sideways or you know, um, you know, you know, unforeseen circumstances occur, then those dollars don't necessarily have to be spent. Uh, it still creates a problem for the investment fund. You know, if we're talking about private equity, because you know, those folks are fiduciaries and they have a timeline in order to deploy capital. So, you know, more more often than not, what I you know, now that I'm sort of thinking of this through a little bit more, more often than not, I have seen scenarios where I see commitments, and then the developer not being able to move fast enough in order to, to deploy the capital into the projects that they want to have deployed, either because of, you know, the local in interconnect issue or the local permitting problem or whatever it may be, you know? So, so, you know, net, net, it's sort of, again, a scenario, not there's, there's no shortage of capital, but there's either a shortage of talent or, you know, timeframes that need to be, you know, compressed and accelerated, you know, and if at a high level, if you sort of go back out, right. Macro, you know, you're looking at this policy directive, which is we've got to get, you know, the climate temperature down by a degree and a half Celsius in no time flat. So let's remove some impediments because, you know, a lot of the pieces are there, you know, already. We just need to remove a bunch of impediments and then we can actually meet that goal. Okay. Um, are there any, um, anything at a higher level you could talk about? growth or efficiencies that um, these smaller developers will, would get from this, these investment dollars? Well, I think, I think if you structure them right, you know, the, there's some good amount of control, right. But by the developers. And so if they have substantial control, they can make the choice to deploy capital a bit faster. So I do think that there is having a platform in, in a, in a substantial amount of capital, you know, allows you to develop faster without a doubt. I mean, you know, without a doubt, because you're not, 
you're not, you know, uh, going hat in hand, you know, for every single rooftop, for example, or parking garage, right? You know, you've got, you know, uh, the ability to aggregate, you know, projects, you know, that makes sense under an umbrella, you know, and, and push them through, you know, more rapidly, create some efficiencies and some, you know, essentially economies of scale. Yeah, and I guess staffing too is also important too, as you think about building up your company and getting getting that capital to, you know, get it through the future stages of a project's life cycle, you know, getting getting mm-hmm. those folks aboard that could do that. Yeah, and they've got to get paid, right? You know, and they've got to, you know, yeah. bonuses and salary and, you know, there's a market for all that and, you know, that, that market's quite, you know, competitive right now, so. Okay. Well, let's talk about a topic that uh, I know near and dear, although a lot of uh, NPM subscribers just scoff when I talk about this, but renewable natural gas. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's... Uh, been a lot of investment capital devoted to renewable natural gas in the wake of the Inflation Reduction Act's passage. Um, I'd say there was deal activity before then in RNG, but um, yeah. it was um, going into kind of uncertain markets and, and you know California, again, having some peak economics and then going down a little bit and then they're being concerned and then the IRA passed and all of a sudden uh, people were buying anaerobic digesters again, like the California's issues didn't exist at all. Um, th- that's really another podcast discussion. I don't mean to just toss darts out, out at you, uh, Thomas, but um, that's kind of where we were. It's like prior to August, 2022, there was kind of like uncertainty and there was lower uh, RIN scores and all that stuff. And you know, that was IRA passes and, and all of a sudden investments afloat in a number of these anaerobic digester projects in the U.S. Um, is Are there are there still are there still a lot of the same concerns there with the economics? Have there been, you know, more markets that have opened up uh, out there that have made it more diversified to make a, a good return in this market? Uh, where are we here, I guess, for, in terms of RNG and RNG deals? Well, I think that's a great question. I, I can tell you, at least anecdotally, um, since the passage of IRA, we have seen, uh, you know, an uptick in deal activities. You know, so you know, one deal we recently did was uh, Quinbrook uh, in Purpose Energy, and so you know that was a, a, great, a classic example of foreign investor coming into the U.S. Right, providing you know finding a great team, providing a platform able to you know continue to develop. So, sort of all consistent with the themes that we've been talking about. Um, I, I think that the the IRA passage and the you know the tax incentives um, you know will help with the economics ultimately, and, and I think that's a driver. But I also think that you know these you know foreign types you know um, are interested in you know uh, you know investing in ways they haven't previously. You know, can they get the return of the economics? But you know, is there there's a cultural piece to it? You know, all of the points that I just raised. You know, so so I think that that's a classic example of it. Um, you know. Will it be? I, th- I think California is still a huge in, in critical market. So, if you and so things will probably rise and fall to some degree, you know, on that. And 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 maybe Ira has just served to to solidify uh, or maybe accelerate the talks that were already happening. Because you as you might imagine, in any of these scenarios, you know, our our client base, you know, who might be considering a partnership with you know. In, would have been in talks with, you know, that kind of partner for quite some time. They don't come out of the blue. Right. So, um, you know, so I think if, if anything, uh, Ira helped to accelerate, you know, the activity that was already, you know, somewhat underway might be a, a way to, a way to frame it. Yeah. 
I think what's, what's interesting is we've seen a, a number of utilities when they're um, green lighting their, their next um, generation mix, you know, you're, they're retiring older plants, like what they're doing next is that some of them are actually green lighting natural gas for intermittency, like new, new builds in that, that sense. And what we haven't seen is them approving renewable natural gas projects. And that's something I think, uh, I think I'm curious if you had any thoughts on that as to why that was, if it was still just maybe too expensive and less, less executable. I mean. Yeah, I, it's, I think I might say to me, it's a little bit more, uh, you know, these renewable deals are more distributed, if that makes some sense. So, so okay. for example, if you're, you know, you know, an AD plant, right. You know, has got, you know, there's, you know, any manner of feedstocks and, and all sorts of bioscience, you know, inside the, the tank. <laughs> and so yeah. um, it, there, I don't know that they're as replicable as a straight up pipeline situation, right? You know, and so the feedstock guarantee and the process guarantee is not as proven. It, it, you know, there, there isn't tech risk any longer. I mean, it's been years and people have been yeah, in yeah. for a long time. But, you know, every project has its own unique features. And I think that's probably the differentiating factor that has caused utilities to be a bit more conservative. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, the, the mixing and blending and, you know, elements of those, yeah. those intermittent in, in plants designed for intermittency to have a, you know, you know combination. But I, I don't know that we would see a lot of reliance because of the intermittency problem, right? You know, what happens if, you know, your, your source is not, you know, uh, able to operate um, uh, at the same volumes as it was, you know, previously, just like, you know, gosh, you know, I don't necessarily want to rely on batteries for all of my intermittency problems. Right. So things like that. So, and again, you know, we, we all have to recognize, I mean, you know, I've made my living on clean energy and have a passion for it and want to see as much deployment as absolutely, you know, we can you know possibly handle um, I think it's great ultimately for the environment. Um, we also have to transition, right? And that's you know, people talk about energy transition. And so that transition doesn't mean right now is that if you don't have the infrastructure in place, you know, you've got to leverage what you have and be able to, you know, you know, weave the renewables in with the fossil and ultimately wean off the fossil. And that's yeah, going to take time. You know, um, you know, we've made tremendous progress and we now see that some of the challenges and, you know, and intermittency being the you know, one that's been known forever um, and we're solving it to some degree, but, you know, we're not completely yet. Um, you know, a big challenge is just the increase in demand, right? So, you know, we think we're making tons of progress, but then demand keeps increasing. Yeah. And, and that's why I feel like, you know, when, from a trend perspective and a CAGR perspective, you're looking at overall growing markets and, you know, there's going to need to be, you know, capital and talent servicing those markets. Yeah, we've seen a couple of bigger companies take a stab at this. Next hour, I made that investment in landfill. Yeah. Uh, I think it was last year. And then uh, Northwest Natural uh, out in the West Coast has been sort of a like a little bit of a catalyst. They've invested in RNG and they've uh, solicited for RNG through some of their all-source RFPs. So there's been a few buckets, but not, not many. Um, anyway, so to conclude, um, what other trends uh, do you see emerging in the back half of the year? When it comes to clean energy and clean energy M&A, um, I guess we're almost at June. So back half is a fair. fair yeah, comparison, you know, I so can't believe it. Enough. I mean, yeah. yeah. Memorial Day weekend coming yeah. up and it's just, it's amazing. Um, so what we so there are a couple 
couple of large themes that you know we talked about with some of our clients and friends back in January, which were you know one theme being you know this is going to be your price discovery. You know, you know who, who's who's going to be willing to to uh, to do deals with all this capital on the sidelines. You know, is it going to be the you know the developers or entrepreneurs on the tech side who who can still drive valuation, or is it going to be the patience of the investors? You know, and you know that. Um, I think that what we're learning is that, you know, there's, there's been some reduction in valuations, but not substantial reductions in valuations. So, you know, I'll, I'll leave it at that and we let the investment bankers, you know, uh, throw the numbers out. Um, and, and that, that's one sort of key trend. The other, the other piece was, you know, who's going to win the tug of war between the capital and IRA and interest rates and supply chain. Right. And, and not surprisingly in some sectors, the interest rate and supply chain pain is much greater than in other sectors, you know? So, um, it certainly feels like in places like wind and in some of the more traditional solar, um, you know, that that the headwinds are are definitely having an impact. Um, but, you know, so is, you know, like I said, Interconnect, for example, I mean, that's always been an issue. So, so it may not be so much that the headwinds are having impact as much as the combination is having a bit of an impact. Um, but but overall, you know, again, I think longer term through the end of this year and, and certainly into the future, you still have, you know, a massive amount of capital under IRA to be deployed, right? I mean, you know, DOE hasn't even really scratched the surface on the loan program. I mean, $80 billion, you know, things like that. So, so net net, I expect to see continued transactional activity. Um, more focus, there'll be some quite a bit of focus on, on building and developing U.S. manufacturing, right? So, so I think that's a little bit off of topic of, you know, you know, power plants and projects, energy projects, but from an infrastructure perspective, I think we're going to see more, you know, more of that ha happening plants being built to service, you know, the solar industry or the wind industry. So that's pretty exciting, that kind of infrastructure, um, you know, uh, EV infrastructure, right? So I think there's, there's still going to be a, a pretty substantial continued focus and deployment in, in that transportation sector, you know, so quite a bit there and in, in standalone storage, you know, uh, quite a bit as well. We, we saw, Often it was solar paired with, paired with storage. We're, we're seeing more activity in the standalone storage space. And then finally, hydrogen. Um, I have a couple of my partners involved in a number of, you know, you know sort of, um, they're not moonshots, but they're sort of, you know, the earlier stage stuff, you know, larger projects being planned, you know, won't come into commission for quite some time, but, but they're, they're, they're underway, you know, which is, which is really exciting. So, so um, I tend to be, bullish on our on our broad sector and i think that um you know we're we've got the the tailwinds are ultimately uh, you know winning at the moment and you know barring some catastrophe like a debt ceiling problem or something along those lines where we get thrown into a real recession you know it's um it's looking pretty positive right now yeah i guess that's one point i just want to hone in before we conclude uh you know i think um a good uh god we're in 2023 so going back two decades um you know there was obviously a massive investment in the supply chain on the auto side from the the private equity uh, wor uh world you know if it was if it wasn't tier one it was like tier two and mm -hmm. as i'm seeing these broad announcements being announced about uh domestic uh supply chains for both uh solar modules and uh, battery cells I can't help but wonder, um, you know, sure, the there's big uh, conglomerates that are driving these uh, developers, uh, as well as um, some other outfits like Core Power Out in Arizona. But once these plants are operational, whether there's going to be another like wave of equity transfer 
uh, into, uh, you know, obviously we know about the infrastructure capital story, which is huge at this point and still has yet to be deployed, but also whether private equity, um, traditional private equity gets involved as well at that stage from supply to transportation and logistics, um, whether that might prompt another wave down the road once there's some of these plants are executed. You know, it stands to reason that 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 is you know what the future will hold. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point, John, for sure. Um, now, whether uh, which leverage they choose to use to make it happen is another topic for debate and definitely another topic for another time. But um, anyway, that's about all the time we have. Uh, Thomas, thanks so much for joining the program. And uh, please tune in next time. Uh, Burke out. Great. You're welcome. Thanks, John. Thank you, sir.